This podcast is brought to you by the Albany Public Library main branch and the generosity of listeners like you. What is a podcast? God, Daddy, these people talk as much as you do. Razib Khan's unsupervised learning. You know that genetics plays a huge role in our health, and more people are using genetic testing to determine risk for diseases like cancer for themselves and their kids than ever before. So I want to tell you about ORCID. It's the only company that does whole genome testing for embryos, testing before your child is born. If you're doing IVF, this is a clear choice now because now you can reduce risk for thousands of single gene disorders, including heritable forms of autism, pediatric cancers, and birth defects. Check them out at orchidhealth.com. Hey, everybody. I am here with Alex today, uh, who I follow on Twitter and has a lot of great content um, related to dating. Um, he runs the Date Psychology website, and he has a master's degree in neuroscience. And uh, yeah, um, he follows an extremely interesting um, area of literature, which I am not very familiar with. So I'm excited to learn a lot, Alex. Um, is there anything else you would like to say to introduce the listeners of the podcast to you? That's perfect, really. That's about, that's about it. We could dive All right, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, sometimes I talk about things that maybe are a little abstruse to people. I mean, I hope not too abstruse, but, you know, uh, selection sweeps in uh, certain parts of the genome or something like that. And I have to unpack a lot of things. Um, I do think they're interesting, but they require a little bit more um, handholding, I think, maybe of the general public. You, are, you, you do not talk about something like that. In fact, um, you talk about something that I feel um, kind of like personality psychology. I had a personality psychologist on actually recently um, where people feel like they know a lot about it. They have a lot of opinions and um, I don't know about a, a lot about it. And I don't like to offer opinions about, um, you know, areas that I don't have a uh, you know, good scientific or scholarly uh, backing in partly because, uh, you know, life is short. I would rather like to zoom in on the most probable truth rather than you know, some intuitive anecdotes that um, seem to circulate in certain parts of the interwebs. Uh, so, for example, um, you know, we are both on the X website, the erstwhile Twitter website. And one thing, um, especially when it comes to male-female relationships, is that basically you can find every single potential opinion on that website and every single potential opinion on that website also gets massive amounts of engagement. Um, things that I believe are 100% wrong get massive engagement. Things that I believe are probably right get massive engagement. Um, things that I don't even know how to unpack and I don't even understand what they're trying to say, uh, mostly Zoomers that are using weird words, um, I also see them getting lots of engagement. Uh, you know, um, I would love this podcast to get a lot of engagement. Obviously, engagement's great, uh, but what I like about your uh, account um, is there's data there. Um, and, you know, uh, that's great because, I, you know, people are interested and uh, you're, you're doing the hard work of actually spreading the, the scholarly information out there. One thing I want to ask, um, and I think you actually tweeted about this today, but this is the first thing actually I want to get to. Uh, so there's something called the Pareto Principle. Um, and basically it's, you know, like, like say like 20% of academics produce 90, uh, 80% of the publications, you know, 20% of humans produce 80% of the crimes, et cetera, et cetera. 2080 is, uh, a rough number you see, but you know, it could be 1090. But the point is, um, this is like this exponential output, this power law of a few individuals, 
uh, producing most of the output, most of the signal. In the dating environment, what is often said is uh, there's a lot of hyperbogamy going on and uh, a small number of men. Um, so the utility of these apps, because they're apps now mostly, uh, is high, but that utility uh, on the male side accrues to a few males. And this has resulted in a lot of conversation. Um, the incel movement is obsessed with this fact. Uh, and so I was just curious, uh, what do you know about it? Absolutely. Sure. So on the apps, yeah, that's what we see is that, you know, a large percentage of men get no matches and a small percentage of men, kind of like you said, about 20, 10% get a lot of matches and kind of between those two, not quite as many matches. So on the one hand, yeah, that's kind of what we see, particularly for men on these dating apps, is that they don't seem to work for a lot of men. And yeah, that has produced a lot of discomfort, a lot of angst and dissatisfaction with, with dating apps specifically. As, as a lot of men go on them, they put their profiles up and they see, I haven't gotten more than one match in a month. I haven't gotten many matches. And, you know, in past environments, perhaps people never got that kind of feedback where it was like, how attractive do people find me? How desirable am I as a mate? And now they realize, you know, wow, no one seems to like me. And it kind of gives that picture, you know, in these very, it's a very superficial environment. It's about photos, you know, very quick photo judgments, swipe left or swipe right. And in that certainly you see kind of that, that, uh, that outcome where, you know, a select few percentage of men are kind of overperforming on the apps and, and others aren't. When it comes to actual sexual behavior, it's a little bit different. And there we do kind of see the Pareto principle that you have the so-called promiscuous 10%. And really, it's more closer to about 20% of individuals that are engaging in casual sex. And that's about the same for men and women, whereas the rest are either not having sex or they're engaging in mostly monogamous relationships. One partner over the course of the year, serial monogamy, but you do have, again, that, you know, that select 10, 20% that are overwhelmingly promiscuous. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I think the dating apps. What you're describing is they're they're kind of a, a very particular, strange dynamic. They're culturally very salient. People talk about them all the time. Uh, these companies like Opaque, Cupid, Bumble, um, Hinge, uh, they're very, very uh, well known. I feel like my friends that are urban cosmopolitans. I mean, this is how a lot of their dating dating life works. Um, and uh, you know, uh, it's just uh, that's how people expect it to be, and it always has been. Obviously, it has not. Um, and it's one of these situations, like um, you know, uh, like social media, for example. Uh, you know, is considered by many younger people and older people kind of harmful. Um, we can like agree or disagree on that. That's not the point. But uh, a lot of people feel like, well, there's no option. They have to be on it. You know. So let's say you're a journalist and you hate X. You got to be on it. You got to be on X. You know. Um, or you know, if you want to see pictures of your friends as they're raising their families or whatever and keep in touch with them, I mean, Facebook is still useful for that. Um, I know it's a little bit cringe and. Um, you know, Zoomers and younger people don't use it that much. But once they start having kids, I think it'll, it'll change a little bit unless they want to leverage Instagram for that. But anyway, my point here is network effects are real. And it seems like these dating apps are hated and used simultaneously. It's like ubiquitously used. It's like one of those situations. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a large survey that found about 50% of couples meet online now. And other data sets show a little bit lower for apps specifically. That asked about online, which can also be other online venues like social media, but 
other surveys have found between, you know, 20, 30 percent of couples now meet on apps. So it's almost like for many people, yeah, if you want to date, it means dating on an app. And that I think is especially the case is people become more involved in work. Perhaps, you know, a, a very common pattern is friend groups shrink as people get older. And given that, you know, fewer adolescents are going to parties, social events and all of that. And it's like, how do you meet people in the modern environment? Well, dating apps are one huge way. Social media is another another large way. And yeah, it's, on the one hand, people are very dissatisfied with the apps. They're very unhappy with them. And then on the other hand, it's like, yeah, if I want to meet someone, I got to be on the app. Yeah, I mean, you make an interesting point, um, which, uh, you know, a friend of mine observed, um, you know, I live in Austin, a lot of friends that are on Bumble, which I think is Austin based. uh, And a couple of things. I have one friend and he met his girlfriend through Twitter. I'll call it Twitter right now because it was was called Twitter back then. Uh, And, you know, I have many friends who say that Twitter is a dating app. Um, Obviously not for most people. Most people don't have big accounts, but you know, for us, for a non-trivial minority of people, you know, they use it that way. I actually have some friends, um, you know, I think uh, they listen to this podcast. Uh, I know they have a subscription. Uh, so uh, they met in a um, reply thread that I had with the editor of Quillette, uh, Claire Lehman. That's how they met because they were replying to me and Claire and then they started engaging each other and we just ignored them. And now they're married and now she's pregnant. So Twitter is also a dating app. The flip side is I have a friend who moved to Austin, young woman, um, you know, late 20s. That's what I'll say. Moved from the West Coast uh, kind of abruptly, just wanted to live in Austin after the pandemic. And so she got on Bumble and she went on a lot of dates, um, has not found her forever person or whatever you want to say. But a lot of her social circle, not, I mean, most of the guys that she dates, like, she does not know anymore, obviously, but there's some of them where the relationship didn't work. Uh, they didn't like click, they didn't match, but they remain, they remain friends and she's created like uh, a lot of her social network out of guys that she originally dated. And so Bumble is a friendship app. It's a social media app, right? And um, what I'm pointing out there is uh, all of these apps, all of these connecting tools uh, are used in very similar ways by different people, even though obviously their origins and their optimization might be towards one modality. Absolutely. Yeah. I also know people on Twitter that met on Twitter, people who have followed my account or that I've seen on there. And you always see people post things like that. And they're like, this is how it began. And this is how it is now. And they show their wedding rings. And it's really common yeah, that people seem to meet on, on social media. I think that kind of how do couples meet? And it says they met online 50%. Well, if we know that about 20 to 30% are on dating apps, then we know also, you know, probably the remainder is from social media. It seems to be a really big way. And the same for connecting with friends. I think especially as isolated as many people are now, as much time as they spend on social media.